Good morning. Good morning, church family. Ah, you may have noticed the theme in our worship service. I'm convinced that many of us, and, and, and perhaps even a majority of people that are in this room and that are watching online, are dealing with some level of despair. I think that is a, a ubiquitous, uh, that, that's a very common problem in this, this group of people. And I don't just mean here. I mean this group of people in Christians and even in, in the, the, the world at large. There's a lot of difficult situations that many of us have been dealing with and sometimes it's, it's marital struggles and sometimes it's health issues and sometimes it, it, it's, it's depression, sometimes it's grief, sometimes it, it's a loss uh, or, or it's an addiction or it's a job or, or maybe uh, vocation changes. And due to uh, the tremendous shifts that we've seen in our society over really, especially the last decade, but honestly, it's been, it, it's been rapidly increasing. There's this moral anarchy that's just permeating our culture right now. And it's, it's, it's disgusting us, many of us. And, and we're seeing this, and I think a lot of people, especially in the church, are struggling with despair over the direction of our nation, and, and, and it really it's compounding the struggles that we have in our own personal lives. And so this morning, I, I think we need to understand this, church. We, we live in a depressing world in some ways. It's a beautiful world, but it's a depressing world. And the things that we experience here can sometimes lead us to the point of despair. And so I, I felt led to look at the particular character of Elijah and a specific chapter in his life um, because I, I think we can identify with him, and he can identify with us. And so uh, before we get into it, while the, the kids are, are finding the, uh, the bingo pictures in the slide, I want to remind us, I want to remind all of us that suffering and sorrow are a common thing to everybody in this life, everybody, whether Christian or not. But to those who are committed to Christ, I, I think we know there may be even an extra measure of, of pain that we're going to have to endure as a result of obedience or as a result of, of faithfulness to the Lord. And, and it's as the Apostle Paul, he wrote to Timothy and he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people, he says, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But then he offers the statement of hope. But as for you, he says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and from how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's valuable for us to remember both of these things, okay? Okay. First of all, yeah, we, we, we're going to be persecuted. You, you will be mistreated for trying to do what the Lord wants you to do. While evil people in the world are just going to keep getting worse, okay? But let's also remember what Scripture teaches us, okay? That God has chosen a people for himself, and he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save them, to save us. 
And so, according to the book of Hebrews, we talked about this this morning in Sunday school. It's funny how often this happens. Jesus himself experienced every temptation which is common to man and yet never sinned. And he was able to perfectly fulfill the law of God, both in the letter and in the spirit. And that made him the spotless lamb. It made him an acceptable sacrifice as payment for our sins when he died on that cross. And then his perfection also ensured that he would would rise from the dead. And it also assures those of us who believe on him that we'll be able to do the same. And it was Jesus in John 16 who said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. What? I have overcome the world. Did you catch that? Did Jesus say he will overcome the world? He said, I have. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And he says to his disciples that because he has taken, you know, overcome the world, because he has successfully done that, that we are to take heart because of this fact. And so if he has overcome the world and he instructs his people to take heart, then can we not infer that God also conquers despair? I mean, what do you think, church? So the question I'd like to ask you today is, if the Lord truly conquers despair, then how can we embrace that truth? How do we live courageously in a depressing world that's full of, of sin and death and pain and loss? I want you to turn in your Bible, please to 2 Corinthians, and then put your finger there and turn to 1 Kings 19, okay? We're going to look at at a story today that gives us some good wisdom regarding the answer to this question. We're going to follow up on the story of Elijah. We started earlier this morning. Uh, Just a quick reminder, okay? In chapter 18, Elijah was involved in probably the most awesome showdown in the entire Old Testament, right? There's these 850 false prophets, And the whole nation of Israel is kind of watching from the fence. You know that fence that we're all supposed to get off of, right? They're kind of watching from the fence. They're they're, they're waiting to see what happens. And he lays it out for them. He says, how long are you going to go limping between two opinions? If the Lord's God, follow him. If it fails God, then follow him. But pick one. Get off the fence. You know the story, God rules, Baal fails, fire from heaven, Elijah is the hero, and then that next verse that I didn't read earlier, uh, the people of Israel slaughter the false prophets, all 850 of them, which is exactly what they should have done according to God's law, okay? It's a major victory for Elijah, right? Major victory for God, for the forces of good. What happens right on the heels of that? Queen Jezebel's a pretty sore loser, isn't she? So she, she threatens him, and, and his reaction really isn't what we'd expect. I mean, after that amazing God moment on Mount Carmel, we would think that he'd be like, yeah, bring it on. But instead, he, he suddenly just turns tail, and, and he flees. He runs away at the mere threat of danger. Can anybody identify with this? You know, I, I've seen some pretty amazing experiences uh, just with, with 
other people and sometimes in my own life where I'm seeing the Holy Spirit at work and then shortly thereafter still give in to doubt, you know, to fear, to, to some other sin. And this is exactly where we're about to pick up right here in 1 Kings 19. It's right after Elijah cries out to God and basically says he just wants to die, right? Okay, so we're going to pray and then we're going to dive in. God, I just ask in Jesus' name for each person here. May we receive the word and may it change us. Please, God, cause it to take root and bear fruit in Christ's name. Amen. It says, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Yes, he went to sweep under a broom. Never mind. Um, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him. I wonder if it was like a touch or if it was like a, hey, wake up, you know. But the angel of the Lord came, touched him, and said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And so he arose, and it says he ate again, and he drank. And then he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and nights to the Mount of Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, just, just a reminder that our purpose today is to ask how can we embrace this truth that the Lord conquers despair and so that we can live courageously in a depressing world, okay? So we've jumped into the middle of the story here. We got Elijah. He's, he's a prophet of God, but he's, he's totally cowed. He, he's despairing. He's essentially having passed out from physical and mental and emotional exhaustion. And then God sends him help in the form of an angel who provides two meals for him. And the food miraculously gives Elijah enough strength to travel about 300 miles through harsh, mountainous terrain. Most of us probably are not going to experience that particular miracle in our lives, okay? But there are some things I think we can definitely glean that we can learn from Elijah's actions. First of all, it seems clear that we should rest to recuperate when necessary. Real rest. Not that kind of rest that you have when you have very small children and you go on vacation. You know what I'm talking about? That is not rest. And not the kind of rest where you, you go on vacation and you have so much plan that you get back feeling like you need a vacation from your vacation, right? Not that kind of rest either. The kind of rest that we actually need is actual rest. We need to stop running around. Take some time to, to sit with our Bibles open talking with our Father about what we're reading in His Word. And we need to get sleep. We need to get enough sleep. We need to pull back sometimes and spend some time doing the things that, that energize us, you know, being with, being with the family, being with close friends, doing some hobbies. You know, we, need, we need to do these things, and we need to serve within our gifting. All of us who are Christians have been gifted by the Holy Spirit in some way. And serving within that gifting often produces energy rather than draining you. We need to serve in ways that bring joy to us. Not business, but not busyness either, you know, for the sake of just being busy. I got a text from Tom earlier this week, um, and it was a quote by the missionary... Uh, Elizabeth Elliot, you may be familiar with her. Uh, she 
she's the one whose husband was speared to death by a South American tribe, and she ended up going back to that tribe and leading them to Christ. Uh, I want to share this quote with you. Rest is a weapon given to us by God. The enemy hates it because he wants us to be stressed and occupied. I think that's true. I think rest is a part of the life cycle that God designed for mankind. You can even see it in the seasons. Do you think that God needed to rest on the seventh day? I don't think so. He's God. But he chose to rest. Do you think God sleeps? No, he doesn't need sleep. But he built into us the need to rest and to sleep, and it's a blessing because it's a reminder of our dependence on him. But the rest should always be that which recharges our batteries, not depletes them, okay? So, like, binge-watching shows will probably cause us to stress, not relax, you know? Not just over the... the we stress over the fictional characters in these shows that we're watching, you know, but, but also just the lack of productivity that we experience during these times where we, where we just plug into something and binge-watch or, or, you know, just lay around, it, it, it's, you actually can be stressed out because you realize how much you're not getting done. You know, we do the same thing with social media. Moderation is important in all things, okay? But we should focus on the kind of rest that we find beneficial to us. It's like the old story. If the, if the woodsman never stops to sharpen his axe, it gets too dull, and it becomes very ineffective at cutting down trees. We need to stop occasionally and sharpen our axe. So for Elijah, he slept, and apparently he slept for a couple of days. And then he ate what the angel gave him. So maybe, maybe something else that we can learn from this is to receive the strength that God provides. God gave Elijah miraculous food, and it provided what he needed to continue on his mission. And at the risk of sounding repetitive, can anyone think of a miraculous food, so to speak, that God has given to sustain us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> His word. For those of you that couldn't hear, the first answer was eggs, <laughs> which is a great answer too, but, but I was referring to His word. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. So God gave us His very words that are written down for us, and when we internalize them, we receive the grace to get through the times of spiritual drought that we often experience. He gives us His Holy Spirit to strengthen us when we're, you know, even at the place we're incapable of placing one foot ahead of the other. This struggle isn't unique to us. It's not, not unique to Elijah either. It, it seems to be a common situation in God's people, especially when we look through scriptures. One of my my go-to passages lately has been the one where Paul reveals that it's, it's nearly a, a universal struggle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's pretty intense. Pretty graphic, but, he says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who 
who raises the dead. Suffering, pain, grief, despair. These are all to drive us to God. That is why He allows us to experience them. They're intended to to make us lean into God. Because the more that we do that, the less likely we are to give in to the temptation to get lost in these emotions, to let them rule us. Only a few chapters later in the same letter, Paul says of himself and of the other apostles, we were afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, get this, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You know, Paul, he's, he's showing a very mature perspective on suffering, right? Rather than wallowing in self-pity, he, he showed that when we, when we keep leaning into Christ, it produces a deeper, a deeper level of connection. And so when our strength begins to ebb, he refills our cup. That's what he does. So let's get back to Elijah. Um, there at Mount Horeb, he came to a, a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I can't just read this straight because there's so much anguish. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God said to him, you drama queen. No, he said, go out. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Can you imagine how intense this would have been for Elijah? There's a gale force wind strong enough to break rocks. And then an earthquake. And then a massive fire. And the Lord wasn't present in any of them. It would have been utterly terrifying. Instead, God shows up in a gentle whisper. How awesome is this story? I, I, I love this. It, it's a, this, this violent display of power. You know, a, a tour de force. It's shock and awe. And then it's followed by this very quiet invitation. We'll talk about that part soon, but before we do, let's, let's remember the power of the Lord. You know, one of the best things about being a believer in Jesus is is knowing that he's already handled everything the world has to throw at humanity and he came out on top. Even before he came in human form, though, I want you to remember that this is the same triune God that created the cosmos out of nothing. He brought matter, energy, time, 
and motion into being. That, that, is, that is power. So when we consider what God is capable of, it seems, it seems kind of odd that we would fear anyone or anything else. Really, ultimately. And yet we forget that as big as He is, He cares for us. You know, we, we lose sight of, of the fact that this sovereign being has laid claim to us. He has put a stamp on us. Not only is he omnipotent, he's kind. He's loving. He's chosen to adopt us as his children. As Paul said in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Great question. And yet how often were his people guilty of that same forgetfulness that we experience? You know, look at the Old Testament. It's nuts how often these people would rebel in the wilderness. You know, we, we get wrapped up in our, our current circumstances and we lose sight of the goodness of God. I like the story of Ruth. Um, you know, very, very briefly, very quickly in, into the story, we see this, this idea of, of, of Naomi and her two daughters being married, and all their husbands dying. You know, they, they move because of a famine, and then we see all of them becoming widows, and, and their, their wives of these men who died are just are forced to deal with this fallout. And Naomi is so crushed by despair, she actually tells people to change her name to bitter. She says, call me Mara. It means bitter. But the Lord is still with her, still with her and her daughter-in-law, and God orchestrates events in such a way. I, I love this. We never see an overt miracle in the whole story. Do you notice that? And yet, in the end, Naomi is filled with joy, and Ruth gives Boaz a son who ends up in the family line of Jesus. Through a whole lot of coincidences, you know. I tell you guys... The fact is, we, we often feel devastated by circumstances, and, and we deal with despair, but we must not think that God has abandoned us. He has not abandoned us. We must not think that God doesn't care about us, because He does. In fact, let's trust that He is working in the midst of our suffering, because He is good. He's powerful enough to do this, and yet he is gentle enough to lead us through it with a whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same question. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Same answer. Verbatim. It's almost funny if you think about it. You know, God asked Elijah a question. Elijah answered. God showed him the equivalent of a nuclear explosion and then whispers to him, and they have the exact same conversation. It's comforting if you think about it. God has enough patience that he allows us 
to dump our anxieties on him, even after he's plainly shown us we don't need to be anxious because he's so big. And so, through Elijah's example, it's safe to say that part of what we do in embracing that God conquers this despair is we relay and we release our fears to God. How many of us get to to do this on the regular? All of us can, but how many of us do? Relay our fears to God. Release our anxieties to God. How many of us have a problem unloading our fears on God? You? Why is that? Why is it a struggle? Let me ask the question from the other side. How many of us in this room are parents? Okay, if there's anyone in this room who would not love to have your child come and talk to you about whatever's concerning them at the moment, I'd be surprised. I think all of us in this room, every parent, would love it if our child did that. One amazing blessing that I had growing up and, and that I'm trying to do for my children is uh, once a month, my dad would do kind of a, a dad-child outing with me and with my sister. He would take us out to dinner or take us out to lunch. And we would just, we would eat. We might run an errand or two and we would talk. And I try to do that with my kids. Um, at least the ones that live in the house. Judah, we need to catch up eventually. <laughs> but, you know, some, sometimes we don't talk about really deep things and sometimes we do. But, but I love them, and I'm really thankful. I love that we get together and that they, they, they share things when they're concerned about I love it when they do that. They may not know that. One of them's dancing. She's not even, hi. Yeah, I, I see you. Hey, you know I see you, right? If you can see me, I can see you. Okay. Anyway, I, I love that they share this. It shows trust. When my kids open up to me, it shows trust. It shows connection. And even if whatever they're going through doesn't seem like a big deal to me, like it is to them. I know it is to them. And so the fact that they might be sharing it with me, that matters. When they share a victory, when they share something that they're, they're worried about. I think, I think that God wants us to tell him what we're going through as well. And, and it, it's, it's not that he doesn't already know. Clearly, he knows. He's God. He does. But he wants us to relate those things to him. He wants that connection. He, he's, you know, he, he's not going to make fun of us, you know, for sharing our struggles. He, he's not going to get angry with us. For, in fact, we're, we're commanded to do so. You know that, right? Philippians 4, Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. He says, I am way behind. But in everything, here it comes. Okay, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known, made known to God, and the peace of God, I love this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That, that's a promise. That's huge. That is a big deal. Now, I'm not going to pretend that we always see results instantly, Right? Because for sure, there, there are people in this room that I know have sincerely poured out their hearts to God and are waiting for that peace of Christ that was promised. You might still be waiting, but if we 
keep trusting him enough, I believe he will provide that peace. It may not be that, that worry-free kind of peace, you know, that we're hoping for, but rather that, that dogged, steadfast knowledge that he's got us in the end. It may be us understanding that, that, that even, even, if, even if ultimately his answer is no to a major request, he's still got us in his hand. And he's still working things out according to our good. We need to believe that he cares. And we need to share what we're going through with him in our prayers. And friends, it's true that there may be times when you're just not feeling up to it. But even then, even then remember that the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Girls, stop. Go sit with your mother. The Holy Spirit that lives in you communicates with groans that words cannot express. I'm going to say that again because I had to interrupt myself. Remember, friends, you may not always be feeling it. You may not even feel like, I, I can't even express myself to God right now. But the Holy Spirit that lives in you communicates in groans that words cannot express. You have an intercessor within the Spirit of God. And that's a powerful thing. If you're a blood-bought believer in Christ Jesus, I want to just make this very, very clear to you. You will never be so deep in despair that he can't hear you. Never. You will never be that deep in despair that God can't hear you, that he won't listen, that he doesn't care. He always hears you. He is always with you. He will never leave nor forsake those who come to him in faith. Let's finish our passage. And the Lord said to him, Go, return uh, on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, there's a lot here. If you go and read through the following chapters, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of stuff that goes on, okay, but, but it shows us I mean, there's just follow-up here. Everything happens exactly like God says it's going to, okay? But, but notice, notice what God doesn't do here, right? He doesn't mock Elijah for being afraid. He doesn't get bent out of shape. He doesn't reject Elijah for not having enough faith. No, instead, God quells Elijah's fear, and he does it in a very interesting way. He gives him marching orders, connects with what you were saying in Sunday school this morning. 
having marching orders, having something that you're supposed to do, keeps you occupied. It helps to push the fear aside. And honestly, I mean, it makes perfect sense. We have a lot less time to worry when we're given a specific purpose and we're doing it, right? God was telling Elijah, I'm not through with you yet. And, and maybe the, the thing that stands out most in this paragraph is how God ends it. Remember what Elijah's been saying. Elijah's been saying, I'm, I'm the only one, God. I'm all there is. He thinks, he thinks he's the last one left, but he's not. God says, nope, I've got 7,000 faithful people in Israel that have never worshipped Baal. Friends, this is a common false narrative that believers need to be careful not to slip into, okay? Brother, sister, recognize that you are not alone. You are not by yourself. You're not. You're, you're not the only one in pain either. You're not the only one that's fighting against despair. You're not the only one that's striving to, to defeat temptation. You're not alone. I want to encourage each of you. Just listen. Seriously, take a moment. I want you to look around you. And when I, when I say go, I'm asking you to go and tell at least three different people while you look them in the eyes. You are not alone. Okay? I'm going to do that with you. Let's do it. Let's go. You are not alone. I am here with you. You are not alone. You're not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. You are not. Warm heart. You are not alone. Praise God. Well, okay. You are not alone. 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 You got a pretty wife here that's taking good care of you, so. She does. I forgot my mic was on. I kind of hope you turned it off. <laughs> Because I was out there singing like a doofus. Anyway, all right. Do, do you feel a little bit less alone? Do you? I, I think it matters, guys. I really think it matters to, to make eye contact with other believers and let them know, I'm with you. You're not alone. You got to remember that, that we are... We are surrounded by hurting people. We're not the only ones. I think it helps to hear it not just from the pulpit, but from other people, you know, it, that, are, that are around you all the time. This is part of why we come together. L listen, this, this is part of why we must never stop coming together. We need this. It's not just because we, we need to worship the Lord together. We do. 
We absolutely need that. The corporate worship is such a powerful thing in our lives. I think we need it so badly that we actually become very ineffective if we don't have it. Okay, but, but we also need to see and to hear and to touch one another. So we need to lean on one another. We need to lift up one another. And we need to be reminded that we are in this together. You are surrounded by other imperfect and struggling people. No one in this room has it all together. God designed us for this. Not to be alone. He designed us to walk in step with him and with other Jesus followers. So, all right, we're going to look at the next five words, and we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, so he departed from there. That's, that, it, look, look God, God gave Elijah marching orders, and then he did as he was told. And he got to see the Lord work in marvelous ways. You know, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of you would like to, I know I would, like to see God work in marvelous ways. Some of you, I, I got a, a message earlier this week about your friends that hit the bear. They hit a bear. And somebody just gave them the money to buy a new minivan. You know? That's pretty amazing, y'all. We like to see God do things like this, but, but we allow despair and crippling doubt and depression to keep us inactive and thus ineffective in our walk. So here, here's the culmination, okay, of embracing that God conquers despair and of living courageously in a depressing world. You ready? We must respond to his direction and promise. If we want to see him doing something awesome in us, through us, around us, whatever, we need to trust and obey. You know, friends, trusting is how we respond to his gospel. And obeying is how we respond to his commands. I mean, it's simple. It's not easy. But it's simple. And that said, I, I think we make it a lot tougher than it needs to be. You know, if, if we will just trust God and do what he says then we're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to keep doing it. We are not called to do this on our own, church. Remember that, that we, we accomplish the walk of faith together, and we do it by, by receiving the strength that God provides. So respond. His promises are true, and He is faithful. Respond. His direction will, will lead you not out of his will, but deeper in. You know, it's trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. By the way, there's one more thing. Uh, it, it's not really spelled out in this story, but, it, but it's an important thing for us. I'm going to close with this idea. We ought to resist the temptation to feel hopeless. Resist the temptation to feel hopeless. When we have a God that, that so graciously gives us reason to hope, you know, I think to feel hopeless is kind of a sign that we really don't believe as we ought to. 
you know, when we start experiencing the, those mental blocks and those, those spiritual walls that, that keep us from seeing God's hand, we should cry out to Jesus, just like the father of the demon-possessed boy did in Luke 8. I believe, help me with my unbelief. I think we sometimes feel like there's shame in calling for help. Guys, there is no shame in asking for help. No shame. Sometimes God is just waiting for us to show enough faith to ask. Anyway, I hope you still have your finger in 1 Corinthians 4, but if you don't, I'm going to give you just a few seconds to find it again, okay? Because um, this, this right here, this is a, a great explanation as to why we should keep resisting that temptation toward hopelessness. It starts in verse 16, excuse me. We do not lose heart, Paul says. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Everything that we go through here, guys, is, is shaping us. It's molding us for eternity. So when we, when we feel anxious, depressed, burned out, crushed, whatever. That is God's opportunity to teach us dependence and obedience. Are we squandering this opportunity that God is, is, is using to work in us? I mean, He is deepening our trust in Him. He's, he's, he's giving us more reason to look forward to our forever home in the eternal kingdom. You know, the world's going to be changed completely one day. You know that. It's going to be dissolved and remade, essentially. And, and all, the, all the wickedness and the confusion and the pain and the chaos and all that stuff is going to be just flushed away. And God is going to wipe every tear from the eye of every one of his children. And that's going to be awesome. We must hold on. Just hold on. Cling to him. If you're hearing me this morning and you're thinking, I'm trying, but I'm at the end of my rope, remember that God is not limited by your rope, okay? God saves sinners. God raises the dead. God calls things into being with a word. And he brings help to the helpless and hope to the hopeless. I want to end with a passage. Don't tune out. Don't start gathering your stuff up, okay? Don't do that. Bear with me. I want you to listen to this, okay? Just, just listen. This is the word of the Lord. This is from Psalm 31. If you want to flip there with me, Psalm 31, we're going to read verses 12 through 24. Really, we could start at verse 1. It's, this is such a good psalm. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. 
I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Oh Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you've stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I'd set up my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard my cry. You heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises within it. God, I know there are people in this room that are struggling with despair. I know, Father, that there are many here who have felt uh, the cold tendrils of depression and, and, and the, the flare-ups of anxiety, and, and some of that, Father, is probably... Uh, for many of us, Lord, it, it's probably part of our physiology. And it's, it's, uh, some of us, it's a spiritual thing, God. And I know that we only can depend on you for relief. But we must release these things to you. We must lay them at the foot of the cross. And God, I pray for everybody here that we will do that today, that we will not leave today feeling beat down and, and crushed. But Lord, to leave today knowing that you are in charge of every aspect of our lives and the things that happen, you either cause or allow. There's no other way. And you are preparing us for that eternal weight of glory. And God, I ask for all of us that that eternal weight of glory is in the forefront of our minds and that we see it and we, we continue, like Paul says, we strive for the upward call in Christ Jesus. Pray, Father, that nobody leaves today exactly the same as they got here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.